You are listening to the Horse Radio Network, part of the Equine Network family. This is episode 237 of Horsemanship Radio, brought to you by HandsOnGloves.com, the all-in-one revolutionary bathing grooming gloves. Horsemanship Radio is part of the family of the Horse Radio Network, and today we have Dad, my iconic Monty Roberts, who is not only Oh, part horse, I think, (laughs) but also a great communicator to all of us about a horse he's working with right now. This is Debbie Lauks, and you're listening to the Horsemanship Radio. Thanks for joining us. Horsemanship Radio airs on the 1st and the 15th of the month, and I have Monty Roberts with me today. Hi, Dad. Hi. How you doing? I'm good. We, we usually have Jen in this moment, uh, but Jen is off uh, having fun with her horse, I think, and she's left us with a homework assignment. You want to hear it? I heard it already, and I'm excited about it. Oh, good. Okay, I did read it to you. You're right. And before we get into the interview process here, we're going to have a word from our sponsor, Hands on Gloves. Well, I'm sitting here today with Jay Michelson of Hands On Gloves, and we were talking today about the horse that has sensitive skin or the animal that has sensitive skin, Jay, and I I wanted you to help me address that a little bit. I know you've got some features to your products, but I know you know more about it than I do. So what do you do? What do you say to the, the owner that has somebody with sensitive skin? Our gloves are made from surgical grade nitrile. So that makes them chemical resistant, mildew resistant, because you can bathe with them too. They're made to get wet. Um, but across the board, there's no latex in them. So it's great for any animal, any people that have latex issues. There's no latex in it. They're just your hands. And if you have a thin skin horse or dog, they're, they're cats, other animals. There are many animals that don't like to be touched in certain areas. But having the gloves on, it's just your hands. You get immediate feedback if you get to an area of that animal that is sensitive. And you can apply less pressure in those areas, and you can apply more pressure in the other areas. Uh, We have professional grooms that work from us. Um, They groom for Olympians across the board, and these guys are phenomenal. And they did a study on mainly thoroughbreds, thin-skinned thoroughbreds, Mm -hmm. and they found out that most people are grooming too light. Oh, (laughs) interesting. They're tickling the the horses. and went in and applied just a little more pressure, and the horses loved it. Ah. And that's kind of some of our experience with it. We we have all kinds of animals and experience with that. I think you can throw these in the wash machine. Am I right? You can. Next time you bathe your animals with them, use the gloves. A little bit of soap suds up all the way. And what we do after we bathe our animals with them, we rinse them off, hang them out to dry, and they go back to new. Um, you can throw them in the washing machine. Um, just don't put them in the dryer. And, okay. And um, just throw them in the washing machine, hang them out to dry, and they go back to new. Well, Jay, how do people find out about you? Handsongloves.com. Monty Roberts first gained widespread fame with the release of his New York Times bestselling book, The Man Who Listens to Horses. It's a chronicle of his life and development of his nonviolent horse training methods called Join Up. 
Monty grew up on a working horse farm as a witness firsthand to traditional and often violent methods of horse training and breaking of the spirit with an abusive hand. Rejecting that, he went on to win 11 Worlds Championships in the show ring. Roberts was encouraged by Her Majesty Queen Elizabeth II with the award of the membership in the Royal Victorian Order, as well as becoming patron of Join Up International. Other honors received were the ASPCA Founders Award and the MSPCA George T. Engel Humanitarian Award and the FEI's Man of the Year. Monty was recently included as Horse and Hound Magazine's Top 50 Horsemen of All Time. Monty is credited with launching the first of its kind, Monty Roberts Online University, in 2009. It's an interactive online lesson site that is the definitive learning tool for violence-free training. Today, Monty's goal is to share his message that violence is never the answer. So, um, yeah, we thought we would sneak in a little discussion about something that Jen has been discussing. I think it's been discussed in some other horsey circles, and there's some maybe money going around on this. No, I'm kidding. I don't think there is. (laughs) But I think people are a bit curious about a question that you said you didn't think you'd been asked that exactly like that before. Well, that's true. I I have not been asked about this question that I can remember, and uh, yet I feel it's very important. Good. Okay, so I will read it as it's written in my notes here, and it says, the language of Equus has a very specific way in which you touch a horse's face as a reward. How and why did this come about? And are there ways in which we shouldn't touch our horse's face and make it a conversation, not just, a you know, do it this way, don't do it that way? On the broad scheme of things, you never touch a horse, uh, a horse's body or face or any part of the horse when you intend to commit a criminal act, which is to cause pain. Mm. I don't think a horse needs pain caused to them for any reason whatsoever. That's just my opinion. There's a lot of people selling whips, so I don't know. But anyway, I want to talk about your hand and what it means to the horse, and particularly your hand and what it means to the horse when stroking the forehead of the horse, because I've used that as a calming effect. Now, how can that be a calming effect? I want you to hold your hand in front of your face a couple of feet and just look at the palm of your hand. Close all your fingers and hold your thumb close to your fingers and just look at that hand. It's quiet. It's, it doesn't look evil to you. Now spread your fingers and curl them a bit and then curl your thumb a bit. And what do you have? You have a claw, Mm -hmm. and a claw is what scares the horse most uh, definitely. Mm -hmm. And so we want, when we stroke a horse for calmness, we want the fingers closed, we want the thumb closed, and we want a slight bend to the hand so that it looks soft. And then you can rub the neck and you can rub behind the ears and up over into the crest area and all around there, and show them that the palm can be kind. And then you slide the palm around and over the eye and between the eyes and then up and down, and then just take the palm away, never spreading the fingers, never making a claw, which you've just learned to make. Now, I'm telling you that 
Right now, I'm working with a horse that has been beaten to death. I mean, it is unbelievable how badly beaten this horse was. And uh, getting anywhere near a starting gate, this is a thoroughbred meant to go racing, but getting anywhere near a starting gate, she told me stories about things that happened to her that you just, you, I mean, it would just curl, curl your uh, hair. And um, when you say and, she and told you stories, this is in her body language, yeah? In her body language, yeah, mm-hmm. for sure. Kicking, striking out, attacking the starting gate, attacking people around her, mm-hmm. uh, very dangerous actions because she's trying to save herself. She's a horse, so she doesn't mean to be angry and 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 aggressive and dangerous. Horses don't mean to be that. They are flight animals. So anyway, one of the things that I started with her is to learn to be kind to my hand because my hand is going to be kind to her. And now she will come to me for almost anything that I ask her to do. She'll come to me and put her forehead right near me so that I can stroke her forehead. Then she feels good about what I'm asking her. And um, we're going to talk about her in a minute and the things that went on. And I guess I'm talking about her now. But she was in Florida, they tell me. She cost a lot of money. And it cost a lot of money to breed her mother to the stallion. So they have a lot of dough in this character. And she is beautiful and apparently very talented. But when they got to the starting gate, out came the whips and the the chains and the guys grabbing the ears. You couldn't touch her ears when she came here. You could not touch either ear when she came here. And if you put a person on each side of her, then she wanted to kill both of them because that's what they do. They put one on each side, each having an ear and two or three guys behind pushing to put them in the starting stall. And then the sides grab their sides and everything becomes evil to them at the starting stall when pain is a part of the training process and particularly the most sensitive ones. And she's sensitive times 10. Mm -hmm. Now, I was just with her this morning and uh, she's asking me some questions still. Uh, Are you really all right? Uh, Can I really trust you? And I'm, I'm telling you that I can read that in her. I'm going back down there at one o'clock. We're on 12.15 now, and, and I'm going back down there at one o'clock. And I'm going to take her to the starting stall for the first time in about three weeks and um, just walk around and, and have a look. And I know it's going to be a challenge. I, I realize that because the starting stall is evil to her. Uh, but uh, I have made a lot of progress. In fact, I can back her through a stall door 30 feet away on a 30-foot line. I can stand 30 feet away and just bump the line and back her up through the door and then ask her to come out through the door forward, come all the way to me and get her rub, and then back again all the way in. So she's actually not going to go into the starting stall. She's going to back into the starting stall. And then it not likely to hurt her like it did when they were trying to jam her in head first. Palm of hand, fingers closed, thumb tight to your fingers, make it look soft, make it feel soft, and rub 
in soft areas. The nose of a horse is what they rub one another with. Mm -hmm. And they'll even use their teeth to kind of scratch one another. So you can use your nails once you have the horse accepting your hand to scratch them a little bit. They love it. My deer that I work with, they love me to scratch them in certain places. I have one deer that reaches around with her nose and scratches an area that's itching her. And she tells me where to scratch her. And then I go scratch that spot. And then she looks for another spot. Now, this will sound funny to you on the phone, and it'll sound like somebody that's talking a lot of rubbish. Uh, but I'm telling you, it is true. And uh, we're going to have videos shortly of this filly going into the stalls, I believe. Mm-hmm. I'm hoping. So I don't know if I've told you enough about this hand well, and the forehead. I think I think the hand you've taken care of, I think the approach is huge. We haven't talked about breathing and your whole demeanor as you're approaching, except to be appearing to be very passive to the horse, not aggressive. Right? Oh, boy. You know, Debbie, I, I talked about all of this without even mentioning the breathing because it's yeah. just a natural thing for me now. Mm, but know. when you want the horse to realize that you're not attacking and that you're a comfortable, quiet, relaxed individual, then diaphragmatic breathing is the critical issue. And all of my students have to learn diaphragmatic breathing. It's the breathing down of the diaphragm so that it sinks way down into your intestinal cavity. Mm -hmm. And that means that the lungs can grow. And when the lungs grow, the alveolar sacs that make up the lungs stretch and they're bigger and they take in more oxygen. And no predator is ever breathing down, relaxed Mm -hmm. when they're attacking. Right. When you breathe down and you are relaxed and you're under diaphragmatic breathing, you're not likely to attack. And they can read you, the horses can read you from 100 yards away, whether you're relaxed and breathing diaphragmatically or not. Or if you're breathing up high (laughs) and you're ready to attack, they know that too. Right. And also, I mean, I think your most favorite saying is move like you're moving in heavy oil. Yeah, Put a drag no, on your no muscles. Quick jerky moves, quick jerky moves, or those of of predators. Predators, uh, yeah. And predators will breathe down, and they will move as if they're in heavy oil while they are stalking. Yes, they learn to do it, but when they make the attack, then it's absolutely the reverse, and they breathe up, and they get all the oxygen they can in their lungs, and they stick their claws out and their teeth out and they make the kill and that's how they live. So I'm not going to argue their point. That's the way they live, Mm -hmm. but we don't want to live with horses that way. They are flight animals and we need to be more like them when we want to train them. Right. And one of the other things that some people who may not be familiar with all your teachings is that a predator never goes in, touches and goes away. They just don't do it. If they go in and touch, they make an effort to eat the flesh of that animal. That's just the way they live. You can't blame them for it. God put them on earth to eat flesh. And uh, I guess that controls numbers and all sorts of things. But yeah, if you go in, touch and leave relaxed and moving as if you're in heavy oil, 
you go down on their list as a non-predator. Right. You go down on their list as a friend and not an enemy. I see it all the time when you're when you're touching a horse in the chute, the horse is in the chute in a yeah. g- gentle, safe place, and you're reaching through and they kind of get tense, like what's going to happen here? Even if your hands are curled, even if you're slow, your breathing is down, you're doing everything right, that wild horse doesn't know what to expect. And then when you pull that hand slowly away and turn at a 45 or even walk away, I feel that horse they snap their ears on you. They look at the back of your head and go like, what just happened? Yeah. Because you and, walked and, away and didn't attack. Yeah. And actually, Debbie, when they're in the, let's say, the starting stall, they mm-hmm. can't go anywhere. So mm-hmm. they think they're in a spot where they're going to be eaten. Right. And uh, they can't get away. And God has created them to want a way to get away. And when we put them in some cramped in spot with an impossible way to get out, that raises the nervous energy unbelievably. So the hand is everything to them. Your hand is coming in slowly, touching and leaving. And as you say, if it touches and leaves, it's probably not going to be a predator. It blows their mind. uh, It really blows their mind. You can see them go um, they lean into you even like, wait, wait, what just yeah. happened? Right. And yeah. it, I can see them reassessing whether or not maybe you're a team member here. Yeah. Maybe you're going to help me get out of here. I don't know. You know, it's just, yeah. it, it just changes the, it, as you say, with athletic, uh, expressions, it, they, they just changed jerseys, right? Yeah. <laughs> they just became yeah. a team member. That's, and, that's, that's yeah. exactly right, Debbie. And you know that um, I've been training horses professionally now for 70-some years, and um, I'm 88, and uh, at 10 or 11, I was showing in professional uh, contests. And do you know that I saw, with my eyes, I saw people training horses that were professionals in competition mm-hmm. that tied their heads to their tail yeah, horse's with head the, to with, tail. Yeah. Yeah. And the nose touching their rib cage because mm-hmm. they're tied so tight to the close tail right up by the bone. Mm-hmm. And then go to the offside where the head is faced away from them mm-hmm. and take a pipe filled with lead so that it's heavy. Yeah. And just, and they call it knocking down the neck. Right. And they said that they pound on the neck. So that the muscles get sore and then they're more responsive to the reins when they try to make a turn or, or rein them. And there were, I would say 20 to 40% of the professional trainers in the fifties around 1950, I first saw it. Um, and I would say that nearly half of the trainers knock the neck down once a week on their horses. I saw it with my own eyes, or I wouldn't tell you this. That was the way it was. And before people start thinking, oh, they don't do it that way anymore, or they can't do it that way anymore because you get found out, just remember that every, I think every industry has its, its horrific background. The trouble is we can't let that tradition go forward, and there yeah. are still places on earth, and it's not always outside our boundaries that this stuff happens, or at least the mentality happens so that they're doing something. If not that, they're doing something that causes pain to the horse where they think, well, that's what you got to do, right? 
yeah, that, that's just what you have to do is their opinion. And um, most of the countries away from the United States are still that way. But England and, and Holland and Ireland and so forth, and Germany, uh, they are moving my way yeah. quite rapidly. And yeah. do you know that the number one uh, discipline in horsemanship is polo going my way? Taking up polo your concepts, is, yep. Mm-hmm. Polo is nearly 100% my way. It's unbelievable. And it all happened in about 10 years time yes. Due, yes. due to two brothers, uh, Gracida brothers, Memo and Carlos. Carlos is now uh, passed away, but Memo is still alive. I saw him yesterday. And uh, Memo and Carlos brought Adolfo Cambiaso here, who was the number one polo player in the world. Mm-hmm. And he saw what I did and he said, oh, my God, we've been killing 52 percent of the Young mm-hmm. horses that we break, break mm. uh, in the process of breaking them, we kill them 52%. And now it's been about 10 years that they've used my way and there's not one dead horse yeah. in all of the horses that they started. And exactly. of course there yeah. shouldn't be. So there shouldn't be. Yeah. So to get back to, to the starting gate issue one more time, though, there was a couple of things that you did that I thought were completely unique. And it's not like, oh, let's give people a tip on what to do here. But it's more about let's give people some insight into your mind and how you help this horse think through. Tell me about putting this filly in the oval walker that we have, the Roran Rube walker, just because it has enclosed spaces, not terribly tight, but enclosed spaces. Tell me what you were thinking there. Well, Anytime that a horse is frightened of going between two places where they're going to be hemmed in, and if they've had uh, violence enacted upon them, they're apt to do that. So if I can just take her in there and it's a place that's large enough for them to turn around. It's a loose walker. um, Mm -hmm. uh, Yeah, the walker with these walls that um, are wide enough so that they can turn around in there, they're less likely to be frightened. They're frightened. And they're pretty stirred up. But after you walk them in there and turn them around several times, they quiet down because they know it's it's not a place of uh, danger or pain. And yesterday, I took uh, this filly in there, and we took in a panel, an extra panel. And we had a man standing behind that panel, making the, the space smaller. Mm-hmm. And we could actually push her over to the wall and then stand her there with oh, about three feet of space between the left and right walls. And she took it. Mm-hmm. Um, now, she was in a safe place before, and she's in that same place. Now it got narrower, but nobody's acting as though they're going to hurt her. Nobody has their breathing way up high. Everybody, I'm, I'm there with a soft hand rubbing her between the eyes. Mm-hmm. And she's loving it. Yeah. And I, I just got back from a little warm-up exercise with her before I go back down and work with her this afternoon. And um, she's still uh, loving my company, which is what you have to do. I've had her about three and a half, four weeks now. And uh, she's finally learning that when I come, it's a good thing and not a bad thing. But um, I've had to live with horses all my life that have had the kind of treatment that we 
uh, called uh, traditional. Um, and uh, if you remember, I was thrown out of four halls of fame when my first book came out right. because the committee said that I didn't respect tradition. Mm-hmm. And if, I just simply said, if I have to respect tradition to the extent that I can't think of ways to improve it, then I wouldn't want to be in that hall right. of fame. <laughs> and you know that the answer was, well, you're not. Yeah. And I'm not. They actually threw out my best horse, too. Well, we do know but that story. I said, well, That's what true. did my horse do? Horse to do, yeah. And I said, oh, we were just angry, so we'll put him back in. And they've already put him in, so he has yeah. two certificates. For the of, same thing, yeah. Of the Hall of Fame, yeah. Hall of Fame. He's twice a Hall of Famer in the same time. Uh, the other thing that you did that was interesting, too, was put a, a bit of a matting over the threshold of a stall door. Yeah. Um, so that she could back up and go forward through that narrow spot, but into her stall and out of her stall. What yeah. was that about? Well, it's about uh, a place that she knows is okay. And um, I would take a hold of the halter and b- actually back her through that with the, like you said, with the rubber padding over the uh, threshold of the door so that she didn't, uh, stop with her heel on against a threshold or something. Mm-hmm. And she learned to step over the rubber matting and step on it and then back into the stall. And then I could back up two or three feet and just ask her to back up. And she had learned, and it was almost fun for her to learn how to back up and be in the stall. And then I bring her out and, and that's the one that now I can stand about 30 feet from the stall mm-hmm. and just ask her to back and she will back herself into that stall. And if you can get them to do things like that, then taking them straight into a starting stall is a lot easier than it used to be. Another thing you said was it's interesting was that horses don't get bored with things like we do. Oh, no, they don't get bored. They'll do things over and over again. And uh, also, they never forget anything. They don't forget a thing. You can go back with every single horse, and you, if you read well, you can determine what someone did to them on every indication that you can imagine. They just don't forget. God made them so that they can stay alive as much as possible, and um, memory, uh, you know, they don't have so many things to remember, and uh, as we do, and they will remember everything. So you make a mistake and you better start working on getting rid of it right now. Because say you're sorry. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Say you're sorry quickly. Yeah. Yeah. yeah but I, I do like the fact that um, this repetitive, I was listening to an old podcast that you and I did. Um, I think it was 2014. And you talked about uh, ritualistic habituation, which was really fascinating. People should go back and look for that episode. I'll find it and I'll put it in the show notes. But that ritualistic habituation is kind of what you're talking about is they they find some value in that they find comfort in ritualistically performing something like a backing up and coming back through and and they don't bore with it like we might like, okay, got this already. They seem to enjoy the generosity of giving of their time to do things for us that we're asking and they get it. Well, Ritualistic habituation is something that we all have, every animal or human on earth has a way of doing the same thing over again and becoming familiar with it. 
and it's called ritualistic because it becomes a, a ritual and uh, habituation that you do it over again. It's just a common thing. And horses have it too. And all animals. But anyway, if we have ritualistic habituation, then violence is exactly what you don't want to do with mm-hmm. the flight animal because they will remember every single tick of it. And it, it won't be good for you. And I, I am so excited about this particular conversation, Debbie, because it, it really is brand new and, and it's old at the same time. Mm-hmm. We should have been talking about it years ago. And I, I'm very pleased that I had the opportunity to talk about your hand and what it means to horses, because I think it's extremely important. And also, Debbie, I just received a thing from a lady that wrote a book about me mm-hmm. and her methods that she changed because of uh, seeing me somewhere or something. Mm-hmm. And she's from Scandinavia somewhere. I, I don't know. But I want the world to know what she's done, because that's exactly what we're trying to do is to get people to change based upon the lessons that they learn. And apparently she went to one of my demonstrations or something, and I'd never heard of her before. And she sends me a book and a nice letter about all the things that she's changed with her professional training methods. And um, uh, I'm, I'm just so pleased because I would like it if we receive one of those every day or two, you know, and so please let me know who that is and try to let the world know what she's done to sort of in her own way, pay me back for the lessons Mm -hmm. that she's learned from me. I'm I'm really excited about it. And uh, Polo is uh, certainly running forward and all the disciplines could run forward at that speed if they wanted to. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, uh, we're working hard right now to show people how important the shoot is for Mustangs, the wild horses. And uh, there are people who think, Oh, that's terrible. They stand in there with bars over their heads and stuff like this. And, um, and it's the best thing that ever happened to Mustangs because the alternatives to the shoots are dangerous and they're long lasting and they really don't, uh, act near as effectively as shoots do. So uh, I want to keep, and, and, and your radio thing is so helpful uh, to bringing these things to the knowledge of people who love horses as much mm. as we do. Mm. Well, that's why we're here. I appreciate you. All right, Dad, thank you so much for being on today. And we're going to be um, putting up a best of episode. So we're going to use episode 11, believe it or not. So we're at two what are we at now, George? We're at like 2.38 and um, my producer, George. And uh, I'm going to put up for the end of August, the first part of September, episode 11. It's a roundtable with Marty Roberts, Aton Beth Alchemy. People will know him from Western Dressage. Richard Winters. People will know Richard from uh, not only his daughter, Sarah Dawson, but he and Sarah have won the road to the horse and he's done many amazing things. Dr. Robert Miller, amazing histories. Well, in his 90s now, moving on 100. And Tom Spaulding, who invented the uh, the fly predator industry and and company. And it's a great episode. So why not put that up? And it'll talk about ritualistic habituation. So there we are. OK, OK. Well, thank you very much for your time and energy, and uh, let's keep it going and 
it's all for horses. It is. Imagine if you could take Monty to the barn with you. Watch and learn as he addresses each challenge with your horse and answers your questions too. You head to the arena and you work on each new lesson, knowing Monty's there to encourage you, all with violence-free, tried-and-true methods. After all, he's been helping train horse lovers all his life. With his online university, you could be like Kathy, a retired teacher who just bought her first horse. Recently, I went to a tack shop to look for a smaller halter. I'm 61, just purchased my 14 hands POA the day after my birthday, just a few weeks ago, after never having had a horse. And yes, that's crazy, but as a retired teacher who never had a hobby other than teaching, I decided to go for it. My hubby and I have taken lessons this past year, but I really longed for a relationship with a horse. Um, The only other experience I'd ever had was to ride a horse in Philly, Pennsylvania, my hometown, when I was 16, and I got bucked off. And that was it (laughs) until I was 61. Um, Well, the owner of this tax shop, um, this is Precious Lady, 84-year-old lady, gave me a copy of this magazine, Equine Monthly. And the article I read in it was Horses Are Biofeedback Beings. And it was just so interesting. I really felt like I just found a pot of gold when I read it because in it, it talked about Monty's online university and that I could have access to 575 videos for $10 a month. And before that, I was just searching YouTube for everything I could find. But truthfully, that's just a pain. Um, I love that the uni videos are concise and they're in order. Um, They have extra notes and a quiz. And I just can't thank you enough for the huge blessing of your online university really has changed my life and I will never be the same. Um, I've had my horse Jack now for seven weeks and thanks to the videos I've done join up with him and it really worked like a dream. Uh, I had to do it in the arena, but it still worked thanks to Monty's lessons and the cues and the hand signals. Um, The ability to watch the lessons over and over on demand is incredible. So I also want to thank you so very much for making the online university affordable for this retired teacher. Thank you so much for all that you do for everyone who really wants to love a horse. Kathy. Founder of EponaHealing.com, Lydia Kulishnik is founder of the Epona Healing Ranch, a place of equine-assisted therapy and equine healing retreats. Starting at the age of 10, Lydia developed a deep relationship with horses, animals, and nature. This connection helped her heal her chronic health conditions. Best-selling author and columnist, Lydia was recognized in Expert Profile Magazine and Passion Vista Magazine. Well, welcome, Lydia Kaleshnik. I am so happy to have you on the radio show today, Horsemanship Radio. How are you? Oh, I'm very good. And how are you, Debbie? And I wanted to just express my gratitude. It's a true honor and pleasure to be on your show today. Uh, it's it's my pleasure to have you on, too. I should explain, too. I say the radio show. You know, back when we started the show 10 years ago, believe it or not, people didn't know what a podcast was, right? And so I remember consulting with my producer, Jennifer's husband, who they're founders of this network. His name is Glenn Hebert. And I said, um, what do we call it? Horsemanship podcast? And he said, no, no, no. It's like horsemanship radio. And so we stuck with that. But now people, now that's more confusing because they'll say, 
where do I find it on the dial, right? Right. <laughs> you can't find it on the dial. But podcasts are now pervasive. Have you been on others before, Lydia? Yes, I have. I'm just I'm just um, spreading my wings in the in my world of horses. So I've been on a few. Great. Okay. Well, you know that the fun thing about our show um, is we're not very specific. I mean, horsemanship is a big, broad category, right? And uh, and Dad, Monty Roberts was um, delighted to actually fall into this category of horsemanship because he doesn't feel like he's discipline specific or anything specific except in favor of the horse. He's an advocate for the horse. And I feel like you are too. Um, is there anything in your, I know you have equine assisted therapy. We've, we've introduced that to the audience and equine healing retreats. Is there anything specifically you look for in a horse or breed or age or anything like that, that you feel is important? Well, horses come to me in dreams. So my first relationship with horses began in the world of spirit. And during my healing, I was born with chronic illnesses and went into a big cocoon of healing. Mm. And at that time, horses came to me in dreams as pillars of light. And that actually began when I was around 10 years old. And then it was in my late 20s that I started having horses come to me in dreams. And I had a dream telling me I was a sister of horses, but at the time I didn't have horses. Did that, did that surprise I, you? Did, I mean, you must've been a little yeah. confused. What did that mean to you? Well, it didn't mean anything at the time. <laughs> yeah. So I just wrote it down on a piece of paper and continued with my healing. And then many years later, I was guided to go to a, uh, a trail ranch Mm-hmm. And I met my first uh, rescue horse, who was mm-hmm. a senior um, horse, and he started coming to me in dreams every night. And um, and that's how my journey with horses really began. They did come to me as, as a child, but other animals did as well. As well. Mm-hmm. And then... And then... So in terms of answering your question, what do I look for? Whatever horse comes to me with a spiritual connection. So all the horses we have at our ranch come to me in dreams in some way, or my horses who have ascended, they come to me in dreams and tell me, well, you know, Lydia, you're going to be having another family member join us. Mm -hmm. So just watch for the signs Mm -hmm. and you'll get the messages. And then we provide a forever home sanctuary. Uh, for unwanted horses, and um, it's it's something that I do as a passion and as part of my sole mission, but I'm also a holistic health coach and high-performance wellness coach, and I integrate those two with the equine so, healing retreats. So you're, uh, and, I, and I won't delve into your health conditions as a child, but so you're in a position where you are compromised in your health. What what were you doing? What was what were you trying to do to get healthier that had you eventually stumble upon horses? Well, I was born with deformed organs. And so at the time, I'm 58 now, so that was 58 years Good. ago. Yeah, at, uh, awesome. at the time, doctors weren't familiar, you know, with what to do, really. Mm-hmm. And um, when I was very young, I found the book, The Power of Positive Thinking by uh-huh. Norman Vincent Peale at our little country schoolhouse. We lived on a farm in the country. And doctors just weren't able to help me. So I had decided at the age of 10 
that I had to do something mm-hmm. and that I was not going to live the rest of my life in chronic pain and slowly degenerate. And that's how my journey began. And so from the age of 10 into my teens, I did all sorts of different medical things, which again, were trying to be helpful, but because I was born with my condition, it's what we call our constitution. Rather than trying to heal a condition that you develop, I see. Right. It was much more challenging. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, but I never gave up, and I always knew I would heal. I had no doubt. That's so, good. when I work with clients in my professional practice who want to heal from chronic illnesses, we use the mantra: "Not recovering is not an option." Mm. If that's what they, if that's the path that they would like to go, and so. Horses then started coming into uh, coming to me in dreams to help guide me on my healing path okay. and guide me to you, Reiki and healing food. Right. Do you so on the horses though? Do you do you have to do you eliminate some horses that you that came to you in your dreams, but you acquire horses for your practice or for your retreats? And I'm thinking for horsemanship. What would somebody look for in a horse. There's a lot of people doing um, work with equine-assisted learning, you know, as a bigger category, really. And um, they're seeking horses right now. And I think it's really an interesting conversation to have about, does it have to be an old horse? Does it have to be a quarter horse? Because they're like Labradors. Does it have to be, you know, you're finding people starting to speak in categories. And I'm wondering what you've found. Just whichever horses come to me in dreams, those are the horses. So they don't give I you any problems here. at all? There's nothing to fix, no remedial issues, no, they, they just oh, seem to blend in. There's lots, oh. of, there's lots of challenges, but, mm. but, that, <laughs> but that is part of the journey of right. becoming one with your horse, right? right? And bonding with your horse. So horses will come here who are senior, mm-hmm. uh, blind, um, injured. Mm-hmm. Uh, deeply traumatized. They may have been in the slaughter pipeline um, mm-hmm. or they may have been neglected. And then it's my role and responsibility uh, to help them heal. And as yeah. they heal, then they help the humans heal. Right. And you said that you have a relationship with other animals and nature in, in general, but do you find that horses are exceptional that way? Well, every animal has special gifts. Um, but for me, my experience with horses is that they are very high spiritual beings. They operate on the multidimensional plane and we all know horses are such huge animals, but yet they can come up from behind you and they don't, you don't hear them, right? Or Mm. I'll, I'll sleep with them and do energy healing with them and they'll wait for me to, to wake up you know, until, you know, (laughs) even if they want to go forward, right, and do something. So they're so in tune with everything. They're in tune with their own spiritual presence. They're in tune with humans, and they're in tune with the environment. Mm -hmm. So I would say horses are one of the most highly evolved uh, species on the planet. That's cool. I agree with you. They have some intuition. It's very close to some of the animals that live with us, but because their motivations are different, I think you're exactly right. They intuit things in a different way and have different um, relationships with you because of that. For example, we always use it on this show. We talk a lot about dogs versus horses because they're 
motivation system is to their carnivores, right? And so they're, yeah, they seek things. They're taught to overcome other animals, right, in order to eat. But horses don't have that in their lexicon unless you call eating grass, you know, um, an adventure. I don't. I don't. <laughs> so <laughs> they don't have to stalk and kill grass, right? So yeah. it, it is interesting that people are finding horses. And I feel like it's probably going to be the the saving of horses in a lot of ways because we can't just depend on horses to be around us strictly for recreational anymore. I think we're going to have to find more reasons for people to be able to justify the expense. Um, are your retreats an effort to do that? An effort, sorry, in what way to to justify the expense? Or Well, or, well um, yeah, and to keep horses around and show people that you can keep horses around for other things than, you know, just recreation? Well, I think we're living at a time of one of the largest paradigm shifts in consciousness on the planet. And this this transformation of human consciousness will continue uh, for many decades to come. So we're beginning to see value, new value in, in things and view different things, um, including our relationship with horses in a new way. And when we value horses as spiritual teachers, mm-hmm. as, as healers for humans and the planet, then, of course, there's absolutely no expense that is too great uh, to honor the divine being who is in my presence. Mm-hmm. That's fantastic. Now, where are you located? Where do you have this? We're located in eastern Ontario in beautiful okay. Rideau Lakes, uh, Canada. That sounds and nice. We've been, it's beautiful. It's got the Canadian Shield um, and the, the classic granite rocks. And we have an area called the Buddha Grove where we host meditation. And our healing retreats with horses and equine therapy focus basically on meditating with them. You don't have to use the formal word meditation, Mm -hmm. but we stand in silence and breathe. And then just being in the presence of horses awakens something within us, some greater awareness or emotion. And then we, then we work through that and, and have a whole process of healing of self-discovery. But we're all familiar with the HeartMath Institute study, where the electromagnetic field of a horse is five times larger than that of a human. So just standing beside a horse in stillness, any kind of horse, any breed, any temperament, um, when we breathe and enter into that stillness, we, we have a transformative healing experience. We had a volunteer here um, a couple of months ago from Japan, a beautiful young lady, and she had the afternoon off from working on the farm. And I was in our horse room, we're in all the herbal remedies, and she came in and she was crying. And I said, is everything okay? And she said, I had, I just had the most beautiful life-changing experience with our horse, Macy. And I said, well, what happened? Like, and she said, I just stood beside her. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So that's, that's, that's where the evolving consciousness and the value, the value of horses as our 
partners in our healing and personal development. By being with horses, we can access something within ourselves for our own healing and personal growth that is um, more efficient, you might say, and more a direct soul connection than taking a longer route to get there. Mm -hmm. And that experience of a volunteer uh, is a perfect example of that. So she came in and she said, Macy just healed me. And she said it was one of the most profound experiences that she's had. Um, So, you know, we honor every, everyone's relationship with their horse. Sure. That's great. And and that is exactly why we need to keep horses in our lives, I think, because I think there's more, more of those breakthrough discoveries and we don't even have to define what they are. They just happen um, that are happening all over the world. I will tell you, dad's been in 41 countries now too, and he finds consistency in this message throughout the world, which is pretty cool. There there aren't too many things you can say that are throughout the world consistently positive like that. And um, the way we treat our animals is becoming more and more um, of an awareness, and I think it's helping. So um, they're so generous, these horses, too, uh, to put up with us for all these thousands of years. <laughs> and they're, they're finally like, ah, you got it right, finally. So, um, so how do people find out about you, and where can they, they learn more? Sure. I have a website, aponahealing.com, A-P-O-N-A healing.com. That's my master umbrella website. Okay. And on that website, I have four pathways to support you at any stage of your personal growth. There's my high-performance wellness coaching, uh, coaching to help heal chronic illnesses, and then equine healing retreats at our Epona Healing Ranch. So we still have the EponaHealingRanch.com website up. Um, And then our uh, retreat coaching program, Hidden Due to the Journey of Self-Discovery, which we sometimes do with horses. Uh, but aponyhealing.com is the is the place to connect with me. We have a newsletter. We have a free ebook, um, mm-hmm. ten tools to survive and thrive in uncertain times to help you manage your energy and stress. Great, great, Lydia, you are a healing person. Thank you so much for being on Horsemanship Radio. Oh, it's my honor and pleasure. Thank you. Whisper the language of the herd. Listen, you don't have to say word. It's time for Jamie Jennings to fetch an email from Monty Roberts' inbox and share a morsel of Monty's wisdom in a little segment we like to call Ask Monty. Leave this world a better place in the The magic in the language of the Dear Monty, when you did join up with Shy Boy in the Wild, did it silence your critics? Does everyone now know that your methods work? Thanks a lot. Monty's answer. I would first like to ask a question myself. Does any one thing we ever do silence all of the critics? The answer is no. I believe that it answered questions for many thousands of people. Many more thousands were teased into further studying the principles involved in the process they saw on video. A percentage, however, have dismissed the whole exercise as being contrived by video presentation. In order to defend this view, they would have to believe that the BBC was acting in concert with me to cheat the public. The BBC is a large organization with a long history of leading the world in the area of creating documentaries. It had a government wildlife expert on hand as a referee. 
It hired the services of Dr. Robert Miller, a world-renowned equine behaviorist, to observe and comment on every aspect of the exercise. The BBC brought its own film team, and they were present around the clock to watch every move that I made. Shy Boy was wild when we started and carrying a rider when we finished. And yet some people said that he was trained before the filming event. Others maintained that we used drugs in order to accomplish the task. Dr. Miller has taken great offense at this assertion. Furthermore, any good horse person could tell at a glance that the horse wasn't drugged. So the answer is no, but I would estimate that at least 90% of the viewers of this documentary were convinced and many more had their heads turned in a slightly different direction. I am pleased that I did it, and I sincerely believe that Shy Boy is pleased as well. What in the wide, wide world of sports is going on here? Where in the world is Monty Roberts? Monty is looking forward to meeting some new friends, two-legged and four-legged. So we're off to Brazil right now, but in August at the school, we have August 14 through 16, Introductory Course Module 3, Longlining, and then August 17 to 19, we have Introductory Course Module 4, that's Preparation for the Intro Exams. Then in September, make plans to come because we have some really fun things happening in September. We have on the 9th Mountain Trail Play Day that's open for the public to come and sign up. And then 29th through October 1st, we have our Horses and Healing. That is the one for our post-traumatic stress. Uh, healing with horses with our veterans. And then October is a big month for the school. We have 9 through 13 are the introductory exams. 14th, we have a mountain trail play day. 16 through 28, we have an introductory course of horsemanship. That's the full two-week course. But you can come for the modules, which is 16 through 18. That's module one, first steps to Monty's methods. Module two, which is 19 through 21, that's the join-up. October 23 through 25 is module three, and that's long lining. And then the 26th through the 28th is preparation for the exams, module four. So you can see all of this at MontyRoberts.com. It's a lot easier to read it than to listen to me. And you can call also if you have questions to 805-688-6288. And for details about today's show, you can go to HorsemanshipRadio.com and you can find links and photos and more information information about our guests right there. And always, this is where Jen says, we love your feedback. So please follow us on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash Monty Roberts or at Twitter, it's Monty underscore Roberts and Instagram, it's Monty underscore Roberts. Those all have their own place. So go and see them wherever you usually do your social media. And many thanks to our sponsors too. That is handsongloves.com. That's Jay Michelson and the great team over there at Hands On Gloves who've just come out with a finishing glove and a new hoof pick. And they use all the intelligence you can muster to make both of those too. So try those new products and be sure to visit all the other great shows too on the Horse Radio Network at www.horseradionetwork.com. Until next time, have many happy horse hours. 